The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast, powered by ASICS. I'm Brett McKay, four times champions. South Africa have created Rugby World Cup history in having their name engraved on the Weber Ellis Trophy for a fourth time in your place for the biggest and best rugby discussion. In the aftermath is the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. Fantastic to have Tony Johnson on the pod last week uh, and very well timed to get the New Zealand perspective and equally great to have Kiwi broadcaster Martin Devlin on the instant reaction uh, after Friday, after the final on Sunday night, albeit in very forlorn circumstances. But we thank them both for giving us their time and insights uh, over the last week or so. Joining me this and every week, the man who delayed recording of said instant reaction for half an hour because, how do I put this, he was celebrating a Rugby World Cup win, <laughs> Harry Jones. <laughs> Hello, mate. How's, How's it, Brett? I just uh, had 12 hours sleep and, and most of my dreams had that zombie song running throughout <laughs> it like a, like a goddamn soundtrack. It was miserable. But um, no, I'm, I was exhausted from being right so much. Uh, I have um, correctitudes uh, exhaustion. I mean, I just, I'm going down the list of things where I was like, I told you that, I told you that, I told you that. Yeah. And I just stopped myself. I want to detox and think about flowers and trees and all the good things in life. I don't have to always think about rugby. But first, I got to go to South Africa and get in amongst the parades <laughs> for about three drunken days. So I'm detoxing for two days. Right. So you're having a two or three day detox stopover back in the States before you mm. head to the Republic. To get right. to the party. That's sure. That's it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We uh, are and have been powered by ASICS. We've had a great relationship with, with ASICS, the official performance apparel and footwear supplier for the Wallabies. Uh, and you can still head in store and online to asics.com.au to find the Wallabies or what's left of the Wallabies Rugby World Cup playing and training ensemble. Um, heroes and zeros, mate. Um, I've not told you that you're on zeros. So you've got as long as it takes me to talk about a hero, to think of a zero. And my hero for you this week is Sia Khaleesi. And I wrote this in my column on the Raw on Tuesday. In that moment right on full time, he could have run to any teammate, to any coach, to any fan even for the first emotional embrace with once their fourth title was confirmed. But he stopped on the sideline and he ran toward halfway towards an even more emotional Cheslin Colby who just spent the last seven minutes absolutely convinced that he cost his team the title. Um, and that's why, you know, Khaleesi is so revered, obviously. It was so good to see. It really was. So now what do you got? Uh, let's see. Well, I, I think it's about playing the man instead of the ball. Okay, so I'll give you an example. And it's sort of interesting because today, the deputy uh, rugby correspondent for the Telegraph of London, UK Telegraph, uh, spits out an article about Sia Khaleesi, who you just said was a mm. hero. And that's true. He but he said he's a hero of a morally compromised, the most morally compromised uh, team at the World Cup. He God. said um, that Bongi Manambi was pulling from a satanic Bible of dark arts. I didn't make that up. He actually wrote that and it got published in the Yes. And uh, I actually watched the final sitting next to Bongi Manambi's wife and, uh, and daughter. Uh, lovely. They look like angels to me. Uh, perhaps I don't know how to judge people. Uh, the little girl was crying because her dad was injured. It just brought it yeah. home like, look, guys, these are just players. They're doing their best. They're smashing into each other. I don't know what gets said here and there. I know when I play, we, we said terrible yeah. things. 
But the thing is, is to write down the cold light of day. Uh, I'm going to call Deputy Deputy Daniel a Dewis. He went full Dewis here. I don't know why you would like besmirch an entire <laughs> country and talk about the morally compromised. Come on. I mean, I don't know what it's like to sing Sweet Chariot. I never did it. But I would actually look at the origins of it, like Maru Atoje said, and said he was preferring to stop singing it before I call someone else yeah. morally compromised. There's a moral compromise there in a mm. Negro spiritual slave song. Uh, like, look at the, the origins of it, like, you know, mm. as Maru Atoje did. So to me, zeros are where people extrapolate from what is really just an amazing carnival of the most uh, okay. special supportive athletes who are doing their best. None of them are necessarily supposed to be philosophers for us or guide our, our way through the moral universe. They're just playing a game. They're trying to find mismatches. They're trying to win. They've given up, most of them have given up, you know, years and years of their life to dedicate themselves. And I think the most important thing is not to try to find these other angles and just mm. in, enjoy what a wonderful sport we play and watched and, and remember and now we, uh, now we fans. Yeah, no, well said. There's been some very, very weird angles coming out of the UK in the in, in the in the light or in the aftermath of World Rugby dropping that whole Tom Curry racial slur case, and and there was no evidence. There was no way they were going to be able to carry that on. So you know, if, so if if some other English player heard something, and apparently no one has said anything, the fact that the no one is else is saying anything, even one person hasn't said, "Oh, I heard that too." tells you volumes it's like yeah, move on yeah. play on yeah exactly 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 mate. we've got one more welcome return to the pod to wrap up the tournament mate and it's been so good to have this guy in the driver's seat uh, steering the australian coverage of the tournament from go to woe we can't wait to have him back on the pod the raw rugby podcast Everyone is returning home after the tournament now, so we find ourselves connected not to our Sydney airport studio, but a new mobile studio in the back of an Uber from Sydney airport. <laughs> Welcome back onto the Raw Rugby Podcast, the leading voice of Stan Sport and the Nine Network coverage over the last month. He has literally just landed in Sydney. Heavy breathing. To Sean Maloney. <laughs> oh, bonjour to Le Mans. It is so nice to be back. Uh, Harry, I find it comical that you complain about detoxing, you know, after a two-day bender following that World Cup win. Try doing 59 days in France. I'll never be able to have another glass of wine or beer again. Yeah, yeah you need to go off cheese for the next two months, mate. It's all over. Um, yeah, so from the driver's seat to the back seat, well put, uh, Brett McKay, it was a terrific tournament and still it delivers headlines like you guys have just touched on and obviously there's everything else going on back home here as well. So yeah. uh, it was just, it was a phenomenal, mind-blowing, uh, unscripted eight weeks, which I don't think the three of us, if we sat there with all the raw um, readers and listeners and try to come up with those storylines, we, we could never have got close, no. ever. No, no, not at all, not at all, mate. Um, it has been a a long day of travel. We might actually just see early onset jet lag taking hold while we record here. <laughs> We're just going through the eastern distributor. I'll give you some context on the ride back to Sydney's northern beaches. Um, so yeah, I mean it was so good, and I, I still can't get my head around the fact that they've gone. The eventual champions have gone one point win, one point win, one point win. Yeah. And they're not on stage. It's like, it's mind-blowing. We'll never see that again. Yeah, yeah. It's quite it's quite incredible. It is quite incredible, mate. We still start 
in the same spot each week, and that is just to ask what stood out for you on a weekend. I mean, you've just called a Rugby World Cup final, so how do you try and pick one thing that stood out for you? Oh, uh, I like what Harry touched on there with the emotion of just seeing that connection of the players, the Springboks post-game down on the field to play at start the front, so we obviously got down there to record a bunch of things and seeing the emotion. And the flip side of it, the absolute despair and heartbreak for the All Blacks who were just broken yeah. and it's 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 the brutality of sport that two teams can play equally well across 80 minutes and you can only have one winner <laughs> like it's oh man it brought in a really sharp focus so that sort of stood out for me the other thing was just the immense effort of uh, Peter Steph de Toy, who was obviously yeah. the player of the match in the 2019 final as well and was just I mean god he was just so immense the other night it was it was terrifying for minute one. Yeah, yeah, it was phenomenal, just absolutely phenomenal. For anyone who is um, watching on, on the YouTube channel, um, you just have to take our word for it that Sean Maloney is behind the shadowy figure that you see every now and again that comes into <laughs> comes into view with a overhead street light. <laughs> it's quite it's like a part of the, under, the Sydney underworld. It's like a crime boss. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be interesting Mr. when you go under the Harbour Tunnel, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What stood out for you, Harry? What did you get? Oh, it was such a blur, man. Uh, so, yeah, as you know, when you go when you go live to a match and it's a match of that magnitude, I tend to look at a player, and you know, my guy is Peter Seftatoy, and I always watch him. Uh, on this match, I, I decided that I've got to look at someone else, so I decided to yeah. to watch uh, Dion Ferry and Quaka Smith, who I had noticed yeah. before going in. You know, when I was still sober, that they were disrupting rocks at a rate that no one had ever seen. Quaka Smith disrupts 42% of the rucks he attends. And guess what? He attends a wow. lot of rucks. Yeah. Um, no one's even thought of that. So the whole idea of the bomb squad was really more about the small forwards than the big. It was never about overpowering someone. It was being able to have fresh forwards at the end that were sort of Michael Hooper types uh, for the Aussie listeners. And that was going to be the edge. So I watched Quaka Smith and Dion Free, who came on <laughs> two minutes on, um, and I was literally blown away by the get up the floor, get off the floor, the roll away. Even they roll quickly. Even you know, Quaker Smith was a race car driver. He was a, he was actually a smash and grab driver. He was a, you know one of those trick cars like flipping around. He's got <laughs> he's got zero regard for his nose or his sanity or his personal safety. And uh, just to see a guy with full abandon. I, I love the idea, you know, when I was playing, I always thought I wanted to be that guy where you just didn't care about yourself, but he really doesn't. And yeah. he puts his nose all the time in places because at this point, it doesn't matter about his nose. But even that strip play where, um, where um, Will yeah, Jordan, try, Jordan. Tries, yeah. tries to dance with Chess and Colby and realizes that there's, there's levels, there's levels to footwork. And Chesson's just going, no, wherever you go, I'm there. Boom, picks him up and Quaka strips him. I think yeah. that was the single play that happened right in front of me, the single play where I, I sat down. Like it was the only time I sat down the match and I just yeah, go, what right. was that? How can that's you do that? That's, that's uh, rugby sorcery. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and the whole game, it was, it was the box negating something. I know both teams were trying to find each other's weaknesses. That's rugby. And they, they, they know each other so well. They, there's, no, there's nothing surprising. It's just, you know, all this, this chess play almost was really fascinating yeah. on the field. And it came down to me uh, to, to a thing that almost never comes down to for me. I never think someone wants it more than another way. I think everyone wants it the same. Uh, I just felt like the, there was a little bit of effort 
uh, edge. It was just a little bit. Like mm. I just, I just felt like Peter Steptoe did just a little bit more, and Quaker Smith was a little yeah. bit more effective than Dalton Papali. Just those little bits. And in a World Cup final, it only needs to be a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. That's that's yeah. all it needs. We're we're talking, we're not talking inches. We're talking millimeters. It's it's mm. quite it's quite incredible. Why? I keep thinking about Cheslin Colby, and I mentioned him there before. Um, there's that. Look at look at all the pictures of Sir Khaleesi holding the cup up on stage, and try and find Cheslin Colby. And the loaded the, that's a loaded question because you won't. He's the guy that managed to completely drape himself in the flag. <laughs> he, he got he got himself into that prime front position next to the captain, and he's ready for the celebration. The cup goes up, and he goes, "Yeah." And his flag comes down over his head, and you <laughs> cannot see him. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. It is, and then he spends the next couple of minutes trying to get out of this whole mess. That he's—he's he's like a little kid, you know, stuck in his own bedsheet. It was, <laughs> it was so good. I loved it. I loved it every every moment of it. Um, Shorty, take tell us about the final inside the Stade de France. How how was your commentary experience? This time around, compared to Tokyo in 2019, can you? Oh, can oh, you even compare the two? Oh, mate, that's such a great question. Uh, it was, there was a different edge and energy to it because uh, 2019 was obviously uh, world feed, so yep. um, I was all over the place, and it was obviously a different makeup uh, on the commentary front. I had Mark Williams, the Welsh legend, and uh, KT Kaltana was sidelined for me that night, so there was that difference. Uh, the game in 2019 wasn't as good as the game that we had at the weekend gone. And then, see, so there you've got myself, Timmy and Morgs trying to do justice as three Aussies for two teams that, um, yeah. that aren't your team. So you, you lose that emotional edge, but it also enables you to look at it with such a pure uh, lens because you don't really care who wins. You just want a good gripping game. And that's what we got. I mean, that it was just electric. And... And Harry will be able to tell you, like, the, the energy inside the stadium, the noise, the tension. Like, don't you reckon, Harry, you could almost, like, I mean, everyone goes, you know, you cut tension with a knife or it's on a knife's edge or race edge. It actually, the air felt heavy with yeah. expectation and nerves around that 84,000-seat stadium. Yeah, it was like it was like a neurotic gathering. I mean, the whole play, it was a neurosis. <laughs> I mean, literally by the time the kickoff happened, I think everyone was just they had lost their minds. I mean, it was too long. People yeah. had woken up. I, everyone told me around me, and I was you know I was right next to Damon Delende's fiance. She was saying Damon didn't sleep, hasn't slept for three days. He just yeah. he's so ready to play. Uh, so these guys were were hopped up and ready. Um, I think the stadium had, uh, we had that sort of, you know, transfer anxiety. I, we were eating it. And uh, I, I almost couldn't wait for the kickoff just so we could start, for God's sake. Like, just yeah. get something going. And, I mean, as yeah. Tony will also tell you, the rain was interesting because, I mean, it never comes through on the TV as much. It was a little bit sporadic. It, it um, did this time, though, because it looked like it was yeah. really coming down. It was. It, 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 it was a tough one. And, uh, and there were moments, you know, like when you look at how much the All Blacks attacked and how much they had ball in hand, it was pretty staggering. People say, you know, some people downgraded the matches not being that good and spectacle. But 38 minutes of ball in play with a lot of wide from both sides. I thought it was pretty impressive to have only a few drops. Mm, yeah. And, and the game, I don't know what, how it felt to you, Sean, but the game to me felt a lot slower. Than, than the certainly than the quarterfinals, no competition there. But even even the semifinals the week before felt like they had more of a 
pace to them? What? How yeah. did you find it calling? Okay, so calling, I mean, that one went by in a blink for me on Saturday. Those two semifinals in terms of flow of match and momentum were like a, they were they never got off the starting grid they were terrible yeah they were right. so bad because uh england controlled tempo with pretty ordinary tactics i thought with the glow, go slow <laughs> approach last week which took all the pace out of the game and then new zealand argentina game it was it was with the greatest respect to the pumas it was a real foregone conclusion uh, sense around that so uh the game i was happy with the game the other night it's funny people have obviously see it in a different way but in commentary and just having the effects might bring through the collisions and the hits that yeah. they were exchanging and the yeah. chat and 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 the fear of wayne barnes and and the rest of it it was just oh man it was so good it was so yeah. good. Obviously not as quick as the other ones. Obviously not as many points. But in those conditions, to have that level of skill and um, that level of energy to the last second, was it was incredible. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about the the the. Tell me about the come down after you've got off air, mate. Cause like we talk, we, and we've we've touched on this before in previous conversations that we've had on the pod about. Um, the it's the broadcast rush. It's a, it's a real adrenaline yeah. rush. So so yeah. tell me what it was like for you after you'd finished it all. Uh, we didn't have a huge session afterwards, but you it's almost an out of body experience. Like it is truly surreal that you are in and amongst that mass that are all connected by you know that eighty minutes of footy. So I think it, we didn't have a huge session that night. It was like a but you can't sleep. You don't get to sleep till like yeah. five or six in the morning because you're just so jacked up. Um, and I can't even imagine how the players deal with it after getting to the levels that they need to get to. It was the same again Sunday night, even on the plane on the way home just now. Like you just have this gradual come down, this dopamine hit that gradually etches away. And, you know, a week from, truly to share with you guys and to share it with the Royal listeners, a week from today when I settle back into real life, like you are depressed, like you sink, like you're, <laughs> because you get so high, there's only one yeah. way from there. And this time next week, I'll, I'll be a mess stomping around the joints. So uh, it's it's hard to explain, but it is, if you're a sports fan, and yeah. obviously we're all rugby fans, it's the most pure hit of the drug you can get, and you get it for 80 minutes and over eight weeks. So on the other side, it can be really tricky. Yeah, it's interesting, Harry. We had uh, we had a, a few issues around recording with the instant instant reaction, and 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 I'll say now, um, apologies for some of the audio quality because it, it wasn't our best, certainly. But in in a bit of frustration putting that all together and having to do a fair bit of editing to make it sound decent, I got it done, I got it live, and we did the socials and we put it all out. And I went and made myself a cup of coffee and sat down and my heart was racing. And, and I've never <laughs> felt that after after a podcast. I've, I've felt it after live radio and I've felt it after, after live games. But this was a real live broadcast come down for a podcast and that was weird it was a really weird sensation so i can only uh, imagine what it was like to be there in the stadium listen it kicked off way before the parties i went to where you had to put the phones in the bucket and swear swear to god that they were gone <laughs> uh i was uh, crowd surfing with a guy there was a japanese guy who was speaking afrikaans and it made all of us just go we just lost our minds and so the, <laughs> Jap the japanese guy became the hero and he was in the middle of this throng and we were and we were and we were throwing him in the air and it was i don't know if it was voluntary or not but he was getting thrown in the air and, and then people were diving in from the sides from the journalist to walk catwalk 
And, uh, and suddenly it became like a, an out-of-body experience where we didn't even know what we were doing anymore. And I said, oh, the pod. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guy, a big blur next to me from Bluefoot and he goes, yo, Eddie, Eddie, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm pissing in my pants right now. Like he was just standing here oh. drinking a beer. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like trickling down his leg. Uh, there were things yeah. I saw that, that, will, that will scar me for life, but um it was there was a joy to it i'll say this one of the most common uh conversations in the, the beer line where you're just you know squished against each other you're impregnating each other it's ridiculous how, how squeezed you are to get the beer but you must get the beer during halftime um it's like hey where are you from uh cape town but where are you from now uh vancouver uh where are you from uh, i'm durban yeah i'm in london now and so there was a reunion yeah. aspect of all these people coming yeah. from all over the istanbul guy said we're like what and uh um, yeah. and and you 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 talk about what you miss but that 80 minutes, as Shawnee says, is a way of coming home. It was, it was such an amazing feel. And then, you know, it was the only match I was at where the, the fans were generally grouped in sections. Usually we were all mixed. Mm. But for some reason, like, you only saw it your way. You were shouting. You were happy. And then something good would happen for, like, the All Blacks that would score. And you heard this other 20,000 people over there somewhere. Yeah, right. And it was kind yeah, of right. spooky. And I guess the French were also on the side of the All Blacks. But... Uh, no, it was amazing. And so, Shoni, by the way, I, I really think you do bring a lot of passion to games in which you're neutral because I remember I, I, I listened to the, the Pollard kick against England and you were, I mean, yeah. you, you milked that moment. You knew it was a big, big moment, obviously, but it was, it was like an old school call. Like if you were listening on the yeah. radio to you, you wouldn't have known that it was going to go over or not. It was brilliant. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, that was such a, and I was so lucky. I keep be able to call him, obviously, in that 19 final as well, where he'd landed 22 points. But you will know how hard that kick was to land, irrespective <laughs> of if the field wasn't the full length that it should have been. But wet conditions, that they came home, that the right team won that game as well. It was it was kind of easy to get up for. So, uh, yeah, it was awesome. And I just, I just want to add as well, guys, one of the other things that really was noticeable on the ground and through coverage is that I think we're starting to, as a game at that level, at a world level, let's not worry about what's going wrong down here at the moment. <laughs> but the star factor attached to that final was something that we've never seen before. You know, normally yes. there's a shot of Prince Albert or a shot of... No, they Djokovic is there. Roger yeah. Federer is there. Roger and, Federer I mean, is there, yeah. In terms of worldwide names, to see them in a stand, and they were there through the whole <laughs> tournament, not those two, but there were big name uh, stars from, you know, entertainment, sports and the rest throughout that tournament. I think I think it's probably the best World Cup we've ever had. I, it was yeah. that. It was that good. It was that good, which makes it so much more heartbreaking as Aussie fans because it was, in my opinion, the best World Cup we've had. Yeah, yeah. And they, were argue with that. they were approachable too, by the way. Roger Federer, like, I shook the guy's hand. Uh, Djokovic was high-fiving guys. Uh, Drikas Duplessis, the UFC um, champ, was also there. Uh, it was all kicking off. And it was unusual to me that they had so much access and the fans walking right by. I mean, Novak was right where you got got a beer uh yeah <laughs> he right. was he was happy to say hi uh uh what's it uh, jason uh the guy who follows all blacks uh, the aquaman guy uh, yeah, was, yeah big uh, jason momoa yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah uh there was i mean there's a lot of people and they for some reason maybe they embraced the rugby ethos they it wasn't security they just kind of just hung out with us and yeah, um that was I, I i totally agree I, I also think like the the 
the, for, for all the, the failings of the French system and, and being in France for eight weeks, it's like you're always being told, no, 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 you can't do that. No, you're not to do this. And there was, uh, they do know how to put on a show. And so I think for the yeah. final, it was, it was definitely a nightclub outside. There was some serious pompy music going on. Uh, there was a somewhat famous singer. <laughs> there was a good stuff going on before the game. There was some. Uh, there was some quite incredible videos thrown my way. I know that, and <laughs> I, I, I honestly couldn't believe what I was seeing in some of them. So, do you do you dare, Shawnee, to try and pick out some tournament highlights? Have you had a chance on the flight home to start thinking about those? I did. I did ahead of um, catching up with you guys. Definitely. Uh, uh, Portugal, Fiji. I think we've uncovered yeah. a legit, a legit uh, team that can become everyone's second second favourite team. You guys know what I mean. So yeah. I, I can't remember who described Portugal as the Fiji of Europe, which is such a beautiful way. It's <laughs> a great way of putting it. Yeah. So that, that I mean, I thought that game, the way that closed out, was was something else. Unfortunately, all the highlights come from teams that aren't our beloved Wallabies. So yeah. those those two quarter. Actually, you know what? Three of those four quarterfinals, and maybe even the fourth, I don't think we'll ever get a better weekend of quarterfinals in a World Cup, yeah. ever. Honestly, I just, I, if you would just package up those four quarterfinals to watch for the rest of the time, you'd be happy. Like, they were the, they were arguably the two best test matches we'll ever see. New Zealand, um, Ireland, and France, South Africa. So uh, I reckon in and around there would be uh, would be the highlight. It was just so special on the ground over yeah. there. It really was yeah. something else. After that weekend, we saw headlines and we saw it being dis- I saw it and heard it being discussed on podcasts. You know, have we just had the best weekend of rugby ever? And you think, wow, there's a there's a there's actually an incredible amount of hyper- hyperbole in that. But then you actually think about it and you go, I don't know what tops it. So it might just actually be be appropriate in this one instance. Well, statistically, if you go back statistically, it was um, just using scorelines. It was the closest run of quarterfinals you'll ever seen in the just a bit yeah. further, mate, uh, in the history of the tournament. So yeah, it was just something else. Yeah, it was. Take us inside the stand team for the tournament, mate. How many people on the ground in France? How many people back in Australia? How did it, how well did it all work behind the scenes to deliver such great stuff for us on the screen? Um, it was, there you go, boys, the light's on because I've reached my destination. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> from the airport to uh, the northern beaches. Very uh, good. Okay, so let's let's recap on the stand team. So I had Morgs there with me, the duration, and uh, Timmy Horan as well. We had Sonny Bill over there in and amongst it too. We had, um, Gulg was floating in and out. So it was just an amazing mix. I'll tell you what, and I've said this many times on our other podcast but the star factor that sunny bill has is yeah, unbelievable yeah. thank yeah. you mate champion um <laughs> for, for those watching on and for those listening sean has literally <laughs> just got his luggage out of the boot of an uber <laughs> and the most important thing is i've got the red wine there that i brought back oh. a couple of lovely girls. mercy mercy um so around the stadium because he get mobbed They'd be 20 yeah. deep, 30 deep, surrounding him, photo, 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 and he took the time with each and every one of them. So that was cool. So we looked at Atko over there, Atko as well. Obviously, Atko was doing all the presenting, and then the guys back here were doing a lot of the, the heavy lifting from the studio. So they've actually uncovered um, some decent talent. I thought Matt Rogers was really good back here He was here really as well. good. Yeah. Yeah, he's sharp. He was. Um, 
it was no surprise to see Hoops be as good as Hoops is on TV. Jeez, he's a natural. God, he's yeah. good. Like, so polished. Uh, and then, obviously, Hoylesey, Alana, and um, Kevy Horble as well. So we've, we've unlocked and un- unleashed a couple of pretty decent uh, bits of talent over the tournament too. Yeah, Johnny, and, when, uh, uh, when they were mobbing Sunny Bill, was, was Adco going, what about me? Don't you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> Starting winger of the Raw Boars. <laughs> yeah, he just, yeah. Yeah, he just sort of like, you know, just plucks the eyebrows a little bit closer and just manicures that little chiseled jawline of his a little bit better as well. Yeah, what about me? He's, Akko's a great operator. It's been a lot of fun getting to know him as well. Yeah, obviously yeah. know how um, how polished and awesome Nick is too. So to have the luxury of having Akko on the ground over there and then Nick doing his thing back here was really nice. So, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was cool, guys. Like, it was... It wasn't lost on us, the enormity of it all, and we genuinely like wanted to try and sort of set ourselves up as the as the leading broadcaster there and um we had a good crack at it yeah good did you did you get to interact much with the other broadcast teams from around around the world yeah that's a good question so the gantry where you commentate from is open air and you are surrounded by legends of the game, uh, legendary play-by-play callers. So for that England game, I had Delalio and Ben Kane in front of me with Nick Mullins, who's a really good commentator from the north. Yeah. Uh, Nesby was there with Millsy and Jeff was sideline. Skinstad mm-hmm. was doing other bits and pieces for radio. Like, it's just a who's who everywhere you look yeah. like. The biggest, like if you haven't won a World Cup, you don't generally see them in those expert roles in and around. So that was really nice as well. Uh, in terms of interacting, we had a had a fairly large night with some of the Sky guys, Mills Mulyaina and uh, and KT, uh, two of the greats. Mills is a champion yeah. and KT's a legend too. So that one went real long. Uh, and there was a lot of other interaction across uh, the other teams over the tournament as well with Super Sport guys and the rest of them. Yeah, cool. No, you you get that you get that impression from the the broadcast area being so open air, like a lot of the European stadiums are, and you uh, and I definitely saw it in social media and all that. You know, one bloke standing in his commentary box and he's waving to his English counterparts three boxes away, and you know, like it just like it actually looked really collegiate. It looked really cool. Yeah, no, it's it's a special thing, and and it obviously means so much to each and every one of them. So it was cool to be around. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Do we? We probably need to touch on the whole Eddie Jones situation. Um, and as much as I don't yeah. want to leave you out in your front step, mate, do you like? Do you need to go inside? Do we? Do we? Oh, do you need a long-winded question I'm here? Or? Creep, I might try and creep towards you. You start with Harry, and while he's right. answering, I'll run and get through the front door, and then I'll, I'll speak to you from the comfort of the lounge room. So you start, we'll, HJ. We'll we'll do that. We'll do that. <laughs> we we should we should touch on the whole Eddie Jones situation um, since obviously since the instant reaction podcast on Sunday morning Australian time, the news broke Sunday night that he had resigned as, as well as his coach. And I wrote on Tuesday in my column that I was actually a bit annoyed about that because it felt like from an Australian point of view, at the very least, it, it took away from the final. And I really hated that. Like the final was going to get, the final was going to battle to get coverage in Australia, but because it was such an epic game, it was actually getting good coverage. And then suddenly the Eddie Jones news breaks that night. And so the only rugby story on Sunday night was, was about, was about the state of Australian rugby again. And that, it just kind of bloody annoyed me, I I must say. So he's said he's bit, he's trying to control his narrative on the way out. Um, It actually feels like there's a bit of rewriting of history 
in some of what he's saying as well. The, the interesting thing I think now was that Phil War um, gave his his press conference in Sydney uh, on Tuesday. He's back in the, back in Australia as well, and he was actually fairly fairly open and honest about it all. He he was asked whether this was rock bottom, and he said, "Geez, I hope so." You know, because that's fairly telling of, mm. of, of of how he goes, and he and he says, you know, clearly we've got a lot of work to do. But I thought it was really interesting that he said that Eddie Jones' comments about Michael Hooper and Bernard Foley and Quade Cooper not being great role models, and he, and he was referring to other players in the team as well. Phil War said that was completely unfair, and and that actually made me happy because they were ridiculous comments and they needed to be pulled up. So that was something coming out of out of Tuesday. Um, he said that they'll yeah. take as long as it takes to find the next coach. And, and again, that's actually good news because there's just no need to rush this now. Yeah. If, if, if my voice uh, feels choked up, it's not because of the Springboks victory, although I did cry very heavily in the stadium. Um, crying because I'm seeing Shorty Maloney uh, welcome or say hello to his dog and, and maybe his missus. Um, yeah. But um, no, <laughs> listen, there's two buckets here and there's a lot of willful ignorance going on. And at some point when people decide to be ignorant about something, it's, it's, it's not, um, it's not a mistake. It becomes a problem. There's two buckets here. We always said that, uh, Eddie Jones is not a bad shot. If you, all you want to do is go to a world cup on a short time, super focused work 24 hours a day, rag everyone out make everyone your enemy and your friend at the same time. And put a good display on there and do a Brighton or do something that happens, you know, get to some fun. There was the other bucket, which was never going to work, which was the five-year plan. That was never his, he was never going to be interested in the women's game. Yeah. He was never going to do an academy. He was not going to be Stuart Lancaster. He was not going to be um, Nusifora. He was not that kind of guy. He was always going to jump his age and his personality and charisma <laughs> demands it. But he messed up the first one, which was the one yeah. he was supposed to do. And when he came on our show, he said all the right words, smash and grab, you know, not going to chop and change, going to stick and pick. I'm going to build around, you know, sort of a core of people who know what they're doing mm. and then inject some youth. And then he just really just shit on the bed. And, yeah. and that's the part where if he had just managed to do a pretty good job in the first category, then yes, he would have said goodbye with, before the five years, but it would have been okay. But he botched, he botched the bank robbery. You know, he, he got caught. He, he got shot and his team got shot. And yeah. uh, it was embarrassing. They didn't even get in the bank. They didn't even get inside the vault. So uh, They didn't get on the same block, mate. No. So, like, they, got, they, they overslept and the alarm went off and they didn't go to the bank robbery. <laughs> so so I, I, they, missed, they missed the bus to the bank robbery. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's it. Oh. That's it. You're uh, you you've, you're happy home inside, Sean. Yeah, there's there's light on you. You've just reunited with I'm your happy. very happy dog. So I haven't seen little Seal obviously since I got going, and he's uh, he was pretty pumped up. But I was listening to everything you guys had <laughs> had just there. Um, so to go back to your point, Harry, and when we spoke about uh, his appointment, and I was all on board. Saw yeah. what he did in terms of generating some news. Got everyone talking about rugby when he first came in. I've, I mean, you know, he was he was superb, but the unraveling was swift, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. it was it was bad, man. Like this is a bad year. This was a this was a bad, bad, bad year from an Aussie rugby perspective. If we combined, what do, what do you guys reckon? If we combined all 
how many test matches did we play? Nine in the end this nine. year? Nine, yep. Two from nine. 720 nine. minutes of footy. How many of those 720 minutes of footy were actually world-class and test test ready? Half, test proper? Half an hour. Half an ten hour minutes. tops. Ten minutes. Not much. Yeah. Not much. The start against the All Blacks in Dunedin. Pockets yeah. against Argentina. Georgia was a write-off apart from Benny Lee's try-off, Taniella. Um, this was a bad year. This mm. was, I mean, and it, I'm glad it's been resolved now and there's no use, like, there's no use, I guess, trying to twist the knife, but it's statistically horrific. Um, what kills me is the energy around the game. Uh, yeah. has taken such a monumental hit. This will take a long time. So now we have to yeah. rebuild the love of the code, the love yeah. of the national team. And this is the problem when one person takes the entire focus of the team and of the uh, governing body, and we've only got results to judge those men on. Now, they are good hard-working young kids for the most part in that Wallabies team. This is not a shot at them as players. But what's happened now is we now have to rebuild that love because the base is so low and there was one man at the centre of all of that. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a really good point, mate. And the about the only silver lining now is that it's done. So we can actually get on with the job of and it's, it's not a, what needs to happen now. And it's not a bad job. You look at it saying, hey, come coach here. You get a Lions series. You get a home World Cup uh, run. Yeah. We're, we're at the bottom, so anything you do is going to be better. All you got to do is be 22% or 34%. So there's a sales job to be made. The problem is the feeling of dysfunctionality. So if you're mm. a coach and you want to move your family and you want to bring your three best coaching mates with you, you want to make sure that you're going into something solid. And I think that goes back to yeah. the board, Hamish, whatever. But, you know, the idea that it's not going to be, I won't be marinoed out or, uh, <laughs> or eddied out or rennied out. Like just the idea that I could, yeah. I could actually have a four-year plan. My kids go to school here. I yeah. do this. You know, I, I can go into work. I'm not going to have someone doing something strange. Um, that, you know, that kind of boring mm. thing that Borthwick kind of walked into. So Borthwick looks good. Gatlin looks because I think the turnaround guys look good. So I think you Some could get a McKellar. Fantastic. You, you could get a McKellar or a Ryo Louie or Mike Cat or, or Andy Friend in here. Mm. Um, but you first have to make sure they know it's a solid comp, no drama. Yeah. And that's going to be the challenge, Sean, isn't it? Well, sorry, I just got stuck on what Harry just said. Like, all those guys did well. Because they kept guys in the squads that had played yeah. many, many test matches. Yeah, true. Like, that was – and they tapped them up and got the best out of them. Juice mm. them. This is going to be your last World Cup. Owen Farrell, no question. This is going to be your last Cup, Courtney and, and Maro and, and all the Falatau. So let's have one last crack at it. And we'll lean on mm. your 100 test matches instead of throwing a kid in who has eight to his name. Like, it's yeah. still – Sends me bonkers. It sends me around the bend that that's how this all came to be. It's just so yeah. sad as a rugby yeah. fan in this country and a lover of the Wallabies and of the game. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, it, 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 it makes it makes you wonder when you see guys like Sam Whitelock having the crucial steal over a a rock. You know, and the idea of you just know when to pick the right rock. 
Uh, yes. There's something very, you know, it's like in all of our jobs, we get better with it. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to come in and have a brain surgeon on his first day. So uh, yeah. I'm not comparing being <laughs> number 10 to a brain surgeon. And the reality there is that Australia won't have a 35-year-old lock to do that, at a, like deep in a World Cup, until 2031. Like there's, mm-hmm. no, there's, no, there's no locks now old enough that will be the 35-year-old Sam Whitelock in, in 2027. The, the, we, mm. the, the playing depth and the playing talent and the playing pool has just been so eroded from all angles that it's going to take – it could take a couple of years to rebuild it, and that's the sad part about it. Phil Wall said an interesting thing today. So I was just going to ask you guys this question. So obviously I read everything that goes up on the site and pour over it, and obviously – Raw listeners and readers and um, contributors uh, have a really good feel for what's going on. And more often than not, you know, it'll be heated and that sort of stuff and there'll be some form of resolution. But I would say that, you know, for the most part, the finger's well and truly on the pulse and I've got a great feel for what's going on inside the game. Have the two of you in your experience in time in this space ever seen it as outwardly hostile towards the governing body? No, not that I can think of. Not Like there's certainly been times where, you know, a coach's head's been called for or a CEO doesn't know what he's talking about and what the bloody hell's the chairman on. But, but for everyone to be gunning for all three at once, that feels like new territory. Uh, as is the case now, and even if, even if the real vitriol, I suppose, is being reserved for for Jones and McLennan particularly, even that's still fairly uh, fairly unusual. So yeah, look, it's it's a really interesting situation, and um, I think I think everyone actually having a couple of months after off after a World Cup might actually be a good thing, and we can mm. actually come back in the new year and think about and we remember why we why we love the game and, you know, everyone's unbeaten in February and we just sort of start again and hopefully it can build up yeah. into something. So the one, one, thing I, one thing I don't accept, and I think a lot of raw readers say this as well, I don't accept that Australia has an inferior uh, player pool to yeah, the rest right. of the nations because you play every year against the All Blacks and the Springboks. I think they were just in the final. So there's a <laughs> beautiful benchmark there every year. Yeah. Um, everyone's saying I want to play tougher teams that's how you get better Australia has that built into the system uh, Argentina's was a semi-finalist um, so the, the, all the systems are there to do that the second thing is Australia has players around the world Springboks use that I think there had to be some resolution about how that works because it's if someone's out there paying someone 800,000 or a million to play they do know they're good I mean Rory Arnold's good he's better than Richie um, and uh, there are, there are like, there's at some point you have to say, um, I don't think you have to keep everyone at home so much as you have to have the Wallabies be mm-hmm. good, and then you have to have your systems at home because I don't think, I don't think any team like the Wallabies can thrive without having uh, with with uh, squandering five or six just studs like killers that are playing abroad. Yeah, yeah, and it might be interesting to see what sort of allowances are made there. Phil War said one interesting thing on, on Tuesday morning, um, uh, Shawnee, and looks like we've just lost Harry, although he'll pop back here in a minute. He said that the sooner we can get to an aligned high-performance system, the better the game's going to be at a professional level. And I emphasise aligned there because that was the first time I'd heard him say something other than centralised. And that, to me, says that, all right, they're now mm. thinking that, what they actually have to do now is probably what they should have done to start with, 
and they just get all the actual professional teams on the same on the same page. And the commercial and the IP and the marketing and all that sort of stuff, that can sort itself out. There can be collaboration, sure, but that doesn't need to be completely centralised. But get the players and the coaches and the SNC and the training programs and all of that injury recovery, get all that aligned, and then you're actually getting somewhere. So maybe, just maybe, that's the first signs that a little bit of common sense is going to come out here. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. And then, you know, the extension of that should be, guys, is whatever's being fed down from the top to those in that alignment, it should drip all the way down to an under six kid, boy or girl, so that when dad wants to teach him how to play, how to pass, where to run, how to tackle and kick over a period of time as they develop, they're all on the same page using the Mm. same techniques trickling down from the top. Yeah, I hope Rory I can, can get it happening. Like I, I, I hope he can swing it around and get it happening again. I just uh, will be fascinated to see how that coaching appointment goes because, as I said, we need someone to – we need a figure like Costa Coglu who can, you know, catch yeah, people. Even Graham Arnold, you know, yeah. guys yeah. who are humble and it's not about them. It's about the team. We're underdogs, but we're going to go and have a go for you, mm. not be combative. When there's no need to be, um, that's that's what we need. It's a full mm. rebuild. It's a rebuild, and and I think now we're all in a position where we need to try and reclaim a lot of lost love. I think yeah. that's, a lot of it slipped away from the broader sporting public here in Australia, and whoever comes in next needs to be able to just say, "Look, come along for the ride with us." Yeah, this is this is we we just want you to be around us. You know, with with a, with a touch of humility. Rather than the agro, yeah, I say it, someone like Horace Erasmus, <laughs> go full nuclear. Yeah. Dare I say it, someone like Dave Rennie would actually be really, really, oh, no. really good right now. I'm <laughs> okay. not saying go back to Dave Rennie, but someone like him, oh, someone like him, would yeah. would would actually yeah. be really good. Shawnee, Ugh. we need to let you go. I, I actually feel yep. guilty that we that you've just you've got home. We've been talking to you. Why have you been in your own lounge room? For 25 minutes now, go and see your family, mate. It's great to have you yeah. on. I'm very glad you said no. yes. But for God's sake, go and talk to your family. I really enjoy it. It was um, fun hey, watching guys, you come home. Yeah, <laughs> it's the the maximum <laughs> issue race. Um, and a big thanks to uh, a big thanks to you guys and all your, uh, as I said, readers and listeners and everything that they contribute across the year. Um, they might know it, but a lot of us are taking on board and behind the scenes, reading and listening to what's being said because you guys have such – you're such a great touchstone for the bigger Roby public here in Australia. So uh, I love I love each of their uh, collective efforts across the year. So thank you to all the raw uh, contributors over 2023. Lots of love and uh, au revoir, man. Au revoir. We'll do it again next year. Cheers, Sean. Hey, thanks thanks so much, mate. It's been, it's been great to get your insights so soon after the tournament wrapped up. Thanks for being so generous with us again this year and um, get some rest, mate. You've earned it. Hey, boys. Rugby on the Raw. So, uh, yeah, I had the privilege of hanging out with Johnny and, and Leon, and uh, he's just the way he is on air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a little secret for God, people. Not everyone is. Uh, he is. <laughs> he is yeah. the same affable, uh, got time for people. Um, yeah. he, he's, not, uh, he's not only talking to the people he thinks are popular or connected he's just chatting to anyone who wants to talk about rugby he's a true rugby nut yeah and he's been literally been away 
for two months. And so you, <laughs> if you again, if you're watching this, if you've stuck with us on the YouTube, you, you saw some really cool moments there when he walked into his <laughs> lounge room, having literally just just got home. But let's do some really really quick tournament reflections, like really super fast. Um, yeah. What you what did you love? What did you hate? Tell me tell me well, about that. So it's a rare opportunity in rugby where you have all the nations in one place. And so you see the innovations. Obviously, some coaches have um, have said for three or four years, uh, you know, this is when you can judge me. So it's, it's typically when you see tactics um, yeah. that are well honed. And so I thought it was interesting that it, in the final analysis, and it wasn't by coincidence, the two best scrums were in the final. Yeah. Um, uh, England scrum, besides that one hiccup in the semifinals, was also very strong. But the scrums that were good, uh, the Irish, New Zealand, South Africa, England, France, Fiji and Wales, they all made the quarters. And when you look at that, you know, the rise of Fiji, look at the scrum. Look how good that yeah. scrum was. Now, they don't scrum for penalties as much as they scrum for, uh, they scrum for success and completion. And it is when you bound 16 players on, in one area of the pitch, and so they use it as an attack weapon. But I found it very interesting that as long as, even though there are less scrums now because of playing advantage for longer, the, the scrums are being used as a penalty. Uh, we had coffee with Gus, um, Gus Gardner, mm. uh, Jeff Barks and I, and we discussed that an idea that that it is a unique set piece that has to stay in the game, and it does do, it does require penalties. It requires something to give you a risk reward on a scrum. Uh, what I thought was fascinating was the Wallaby scrum was fine. So anyone saying yeah. that we need more piggies, it was all about the tight fours. No, it wasn't. The Wallabies lineup was superb, and their scrum was yeah. superb. Their mall was superb. They did pretty good work around the rock. Um, it was all about decision makers, game managers, and the inexperience in those positions compared to the Biggers, the Pollards, the Moongas. That's what did them in. And uh, even with Fiji, you saw mature nines making good decisions, and you saw a lot of maturity there. So the next thing I would say is the mall was really uh, viewed with skepticism by, by refs. Ref did not want malls to take over the Rugby World Cup 2023. And as you can see, very few tries were scored. The only teams that scored tries from malls pretty much were the Pacific Island teams. Uh, the best right. ones were Argentina, which averaged 30 meters uh, a match on mall. And then there was Fiji, who had about 25. But look at South Africa. Never did it. Didn't even try it. Yeah. Uh, use it more as, as a base. Just a few. And New, Zealand, and New Zealand really focused on defending them. and just Yes, true. And just smashing them. And so people were really uh, uh, petrified about losing a mall, uh, like kicking to the five, trying them yeah. all and failing was became the biggest problem. Yeah. Even England didn't really maul much, did they? No, they were in a sub-20. So like 20, 20 yeah. meters per, per, uh, per game. When they played some weak teams, they could have rolled them all. So yeah. on the line out, we saw that it doesn't yield penalties, right? So that's why it's a different set piece of the scrum. And even the stolen lineouts didn't seem to hurt some of the teams as much as you thought. Like New Zealand stole a lot of lineouts in the final. It didn't yeah. go anywhere. It wasn't the thing. Uh, but they had a 97%. Then you have uh, Argentina and, um, and France at, at 1995. And the rest of the teams really struggled in the lineout. So there was, yeah. a, there was a, there's a perception here that lineout defense has also improved and that people are reading lineouts again that, pretty well. That is definitely the case. Yeah. Lineout defense and mall defense is is actually way superior right now to to a lineout drive attack. Right, exactly. And then the other thing, the World Cup shape we can see, and I'm I'm diving into the numbers even deeper here. But 
the ructus the ructus ruptors you know the the french the mm. sappers and the english they got pretty good pay from that and the wide teams that had yeah. to build a lot of rucks wide new zealand ireland scotland uh it was tough to keep doing that in the knockouts you know mm. as you got deeper um and so we we still back with the turnovers in the right area or the most lethal weapon in rugby yeah more than yeah, anything else true. even more than a charge down even more than a lost line out yeah. it's it's if you get turned over when you thought you were not going to be turned over. <laughs> so you're in the danger zone. Warren Gatlin yeah. said, don't, you know, don't, be, don't have ball in hand at, at, at the 40, 45, 50. That's a no-go zone because you just cannot afford it. I don't know what the measurement would be, and I don't know what the number would be, but the what am I, what am I looking for? The success rate of turnovers in opposition 22, like the conversion yeah. rate into tries. That would be really interesting to know because it feels like it, it feels like if you this tournament, if you conceded a turnover in your own twenty-two and didn't concede points out of it, you've absolutely won the lottery. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that that'd be a very yeah. interesting stat to run. And we and we're thinking we're, about having yeah. some of these stats and sort of you know in a calm light of day take a more you know measured approach to this thing. Yeah. One thing for sure is the mix of age and youth was really important. You know, you saw Warren Gatlin pick a very old yes. team, but also have Jack Morgan be his captain. You 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 yes. saw that uh, Rossi Rasmus and Jock Nienaber had no problem throwing someone in that had very few caps as long as they knew how it fit and the fit. Mm. You know, with well, Borthwick or or uh, Ian Foster, the same thing. You, you've t- you've touched on England straight away from from where they were <laughs> pre-tournament losing at Twickenham to Fiji, to coming third, winning the bronze medal, I think it can all be tracked on the performances of basically their back row. And think about the number of times over the last two or three weeks that we've particularly talked about Laws, Curry, and Ben Earl. And Courtney Laws playing some of his best rugby with two young blokes at seven and eight. And it's balanced. So you have, you yeah. have Courtney Laws doing everything that the other two don't want to do. And then you have uh, Ben Earl being a, just a fantastic swerving power runner. Um, it's yeah. actually it's actually like a little bit of like an arty style where you we have someone it, who's just able to break tackles. You know, it actually reminded me of in, in 2015 the Wallabies went in and they went to a final with Scott Fardy at six, Michael Hooper at seven, and David Pocock at eight. Mm. And I remember writing numerous times that the, the, the three of them complement each other because they're not necessarily traditional six, seven, eight but they all actually do their own job really well and they do little bits of the other jobs as well. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. you know, Michael Hooper was, was the ball runner. You know, David, David Pocock was the fetcher. Um, you know, Fardy was the, was the workhorse tackler. But they all sort of did little bits of, everyone, of each other's job and that right. meant that they worked so well as a, as a trio. So, no, it's yeah, good. It's, and, it's, and to your point about being turned over, I was just thinking about that. Rico Yanni gets the ball in space and he, then he switches the ball to the wrong hand and then he gets tackled by Kirtley Aronser and he's swept, even if he had got somehow beyond that, mm-hmm. Chesson Colby from the other wing appears sliding through and catches the ball. That's basically a turnover. Like, so yeah. if, you, if you had the ball in space, and when he got the ball, he was, you know, I don't know, 20 meters out, and there was only one person to beat, really, and then there was two because he kept a, had a bad angle. You know, in, in like, as a coach, you would say, there were five other things you could have done there, but you had yeah. to turn yeah. in and recycle because we had the players there. Yeah. But one thing you couldn't do is change the ball to the right side, get tackled and stripped. That's it. Yeah, and that's what he did do. You mentioned Quagga Smith's, Steal on Will Jordan. Remind me which part of the field that was again. 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, it was on Hot on Attack. Um, and and yeah. actually, Will Jordan was, was dancing. I think it was about 30 meters out. And he was he had a lane. He had a Will Jordan lane. And actually, right before that, you know, your heart's in your stomach if you're a box supporter going, oh, no, no, Will yeah. Jordan's got the ball. And he's, yeah. he's making his moves. But no, I think Cheston just, sh- just slowed him up a little bit because he could just match him. He's so yeah, quick. He, yeah, um, and, and so the other thing about one of the big things that's maybe on an overrated stat is missed tackles and tackle completion. We have to have three categories of tackles. There's an attackal attempt that's not really a tackle attempt so much as that it's a, an attempt to disrupt your attack. It's, so it's that's the toy, yeah, where you just go right yeah. up the middle and you go to the outside shoulder, Rico, turn him in, and then he gets crunched by Etzebeth. So the missed tackle is almost the reason. It's almost a tackle assist. And... Yeah. Um, you look at the top tackling percentages in the, in the tournament, it was Scotland and Georgia. So throw that thing out the window. Look more yeah. to the ratio of tackle turnovers, dominant tackles, and whether any of those missed tackles led to anything. Uh, and then you season the stats more. So I think that's something that coaches will take away. All, catch, all coaches want to copy winners. So they'll be looking at the, yeah. the fact that South Africa and New Zealand had layers of scramble defense where you just could never find the break. Both things. And, and, and we've talked about this too, and we've definitely both written it. Defences have never been so narrow. Right. Like, think about how they all operate. And they all operated... I mean, they were basically all operating like Fat Man's Alley. Like, it was like goalpost plus five. There's 15 blokes in the space of about 40 metres. Right. Because they they because everyone everyone has sweepers now, and they yeah uh, you can hear them you know yell uh, they can they're shouting fall they're shouting um, numbers, and so you yeah. always you feel like you have enough time. I think that's what it is. The, the speed on the field allows you to give people that false gold, and they can shut it down because yeah. they know they can get someone to the to use the the, the touchline as a extra defender. Yeah. Yeah, and then so then the, the the way around that is always to kick. So you saw so many kicks over the top by wings. Yeah, you true. saw so many chip kicks. It's almost like Rubber Mac kicks, Hansen, yeah. Damien Pinot. These guys are brilliant at it. Um, you know, yeah, that that's the way to get around it. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Let's let's name some names. Let's throw up some some players of the of the tournament. Don't don't have to worry about justifying why. Let's just start throwing some names out. I, and we've mentioned him already. I'll, I'll start. We'll go alternate and, and we'll, we'll just do this. We've already mentioned Sam Whitelock from New Zealand. Yeah, what a hero. Uh, yeah. Cyril Bai for the, for the French made it all the way back from injuries. I really have a big soft spot for people who can make it back from injuries. It's so yep. hard. Yep. Penny Matawalu, Fijian scrum half, mm. sharp shooting goal kicker. Yep. Excellent one. Uh, Mark Talea in his untackleableness. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good shout. Good shout too. Uh, Hugo Keenan was incredible. Nice. Irish fullback. Yeah. Uh, Lavani yeah. Botia could never take my eyes off the guy. Yeah. He's just a specimen, but also he's such a smart guy around the ruck. Yeah. Um, Liam Williams, <laughs> fullback. Just, just a Boston. really, really good positional <laughs> fullback. Just seems like the the guy you would you would love him so much in your team, and and he was and yeah. if he was on the other team, you would hate him so much. <laughs> Good shout. Good shout. Good uh, shout. For me, I would say um, Movaka, the hooker from the, the French as well. I thought he was uh, yeah. almost unplayable as well. He, he might have, he may have taken the number two shirt from Julien Marchand. Yeah, he was really good, wasn't he? Really good. Um, Samuel Martins, Portuguese oh, yes. half. 
Yes. Cult, cult hero, winning conversion to win that game, that last game of theirs. Yeah, that was so good. Um, all the eights, I thought the eights were amazing in this yeah. tournament, but I thought Kalen Doris was especially unlucky yeah. uh, really not to good. come through because I think he was just a star is born. Yeah. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll throw another one at you. Franco Mostert just works his socks yeah. off. He, he manages to be Mr. Anonymous, but when you actually look back and you say in the knockout rounds, he had made 49 or 49 tackles, mm. and, and, and he, I don't know, he just is indefat- indefatigable. That's incredible, isn't it? He didn't <laughs> miss a tackle for three weeks. In knockouts. Yeah, mar- he just, everyone raised the game, but it seemed like Mostert yeah. even said, okay, it's time to go. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Emiliano Buffelli. <laughs> I, I love your celebration. Kept, kept, kept Argentina in so many games, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, ben Diaki played the best rugby of his life. We have yeah. to mention him. I don't know where, what he found before this tournament, but he was unbelievably brilliant. Yeah. Um, I'm going to throw another one here. Wayne Barnes. Good. I, I think he actually had a really, really good tournament. And I think this carry-on uh, post-game by fans and even certain sections of the media... Um, you know, rate the referee. I mean, that is just, it's ridiculous. And the game doesn't need it. Part of what we're doing here is um, everyone seems to, like, we, we, every one of us has people in our tribe that do bad things about refs. They say bad things, they react badly. But we tend to always point our finger at some other country and we try to demonize them. It's a mm. problem for all of rugby. Every single yep. country has some sourpuss, sociopaths that sit on keyboard warriors or they are just, you know, I don't know what's going on in their life that they have to be so, yeah. so ridiculous. But yeah, we spoke to Gus at coffee and he, and I even said to him, why does anyone want to be a ref? I mean, like, mm. why do you want to do this? You don't have to do this, right? He's taken the three months and then he'll be back on the, you know, six nations tour and the rugby championship. And then, and they, as you would expect, he loves rugby. He yeah. loves it. He, he loves, loves everything loves about it. He likes to be fit. He trains. He gets ready. These guys are professionals. And just like Shawnee said, it's hard to come down. I mean, when they, after a match, he said it's literally like 48 hours before he can think straight. So, um, so I think we've got to do better with them. Uh, Rossi Erasmus was definitely wrong in how he approached it. Someone, someone could say that it was too much to have a 62-minute video. Probably he was thinking it's better than cherry-picking one particular decision. So in one way, it's like really bad if you only pick at one thing, you say that's what cost me the, the friendship mm. and on the, it's, the block. Of even, the it's even worse if you pick in 27, though. But, <laughs> but, like, but we cannot always go back to some sort of original sin as if Rossi arrested, yeah. uh, invented the, the ref bashing. Plenty of coaches yeah. have said bad things about the 16th man or we played against this guy, yeah. that guy, or they were yeah. cheating. These are bad things to do. We got to, I think, all think about 24 hours post-loss. Don't say very much. Because I think it's that second day you wake up and you go, oh, yeah. But we could have done so. We could have made a few yeah. kicks. We could have yeah. done this. Yeah. We could have done that. Yeah, well, how about that? Didn't miss that tackle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, I, look, I agree with you. I think just if the lesson out of all this is that we all think about what we're about to say before we hit send, before we hit post, before we hit submit, before we hit tweet, before we hit whatever, just think about it. Yeah. And maybe that's the lesson out of it all. All in all, I think the referees actually had a really good tournament. It was the best referee tournament. So if everyone wants to go back and actually do a forensics, and I told this to Gus, you'll, you'll look at a Ben O'Keefe game and you'll actually you'll see that he made fewer errors. The problem yeah. is, is that um, people are not willing to accept that there's an error rate yeah. in our beautiful sport because it's super complicated. Yeah. <laughs> when, you're, 
when you're leaking a referee's report and there's only five errors on it and they're split three two, your argument's not great. <laughs> and they slide and they're sliding doors where if one went that way, it would have prevented the other one. So you, yeah, you, you're, down, you're yeah. down to a couple of things that would have mattered here and there. And guess what? There were 10 things that the players that didn't do that would have mattered more. Yeah, that were nothing. That were nothing. The World Rugby um, yeah. Awards took place in Paris uh, on Saturday night. Um, I don't think there was any great surprise in it. Uh, Artie Savia was named the men's 15s player of the year. Um, Mark Talea was announced the breakthrough player of the 15s breakthrough player of the year. Andy Farrell was the coach of the year. Um, and, and we should reiterate, um, you know, Ian Foster, Jacques Nineveh, uh, Simon Rawalui were, were nominated as, as finalists, but this was for the whole year, not just the World Cup. And so there was a little bit of commentary around, you know, what about this bloke? And what about this bloke? Well, it was the whole year. It wasn't just the, uh, it wasn't just the World Cup. The tri- men's try of the year was um, back in the Six Nations, Duhan van der Merwe, um, Scotland against England. The women's sevens player of the year was Tyler Nathan Wong from New Zealand. The men's sevens player of the year was Rodrigo Isgrel from um, Argentina. Um, and then there was teams of the year and, uh, you know, special merit awards, uh, Hall of Fames, which we've spoken about as well. And so there was just some completely deserving players recognised um, in a pretty star-studded affair in Paris, wasn't there? Yeah, well, I don't t- pay too much attention to the fact of them or how they worked them out. I'm happy for the guys. I'm happy for everyone who got an award. I'm happy for how hard they worked. And, um, and, and all of them seem like tremendous performers. My, my observation, I mean, World Rugby, just like Sanzar, just some guys in a room somewhere. They don't know any yeah. better than you and I. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but my observation is this. On the players of the year, I think it always seems to be, a, to me, it seems to always lag a year. I think they always go, I think literally <laughs> go, yeah, but he was really good last year. We gave it to Antoine Dupont instead of Artie Savea. It was Artie last year. And I think this year it's even Ed Smith. Yeah. So it means Ed Smith will get it next year. Next year. Yeah, yeah. And Peter Steff will talk again in two years' time. Yeah, yeah. Exactly right. Um, a final thought on the Rugby World Cup? Um, I love I love our game. I think it's uh, it's majestic. It's um, yeah. everything that's everything that's that's messed up about it is what I like the most. Um I love the flaws. I love the fact that that we cannot even get seven people together and agree on a breakdown. Um, <laughs> I I I love the pe- I love how I, I love how hard everyone fights. I love um, I love the the ethos that you can put spectators from any country into the same place and not worry about security in between us. Mm. Um, you know, the only fights I saw were between two Welsh guys fighting each other or two English guys fighting each other, not <laughs> not English versus Welsh. Um, so that was confusing. But anyway, uh, no, I think, I think um, it's truly um, a beautiful sport. And when you <clears throat> can just sit back and look at it um, and stop judging this and that and assessing everything, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to see a, a ball in flight, um, to see a perfectly spiral pass. It's a beautiful thing to see a tackle well done where you just actually fold someone. Um, I do think it's a beautiful thing to see a kick and I, my listen. Even though I wanted Jordy Barrett to miss that kick, it was heartbreaking because all I did was look at him. I couldn't see the angle right. I was down pretty low on the fifty, and uh, I, I could, I, I watched him, and I knew that he had missed it. Like I knew, it, I knew from his body language, and I just went, "Oh man, you're gonna play that over and over in your head, aren't you?" Yeah, yeah. No, it's really well said. The roar. 
So, mate, some, to, to start wrapping all this up, and this has been a bit of an epic already, um, some really interesting WXV1 scores from the weekend. Uh, England beat Canada pretty well, 45-12. New Zealand beat Wales, 70-7. The big boil over the weekend and... was the Wallaroos. Yes. 29-20 over France. And yes. France scored late in that to bring it back to, to nine points, the margin. So the WXV1 table now suddenly has England still the only unbeaten team on 10, and you've got New Zealand on six, Canada on five, Australia on five, France on four. Love it. So all of a sudden, that's I was so happy. incredibly tight. So there's going to be some, some big games coming up this weekend. Australia playing Wales, France playing Canada. England and New Zealand uh, on Saturday um, mm. could be absolutely anything. Um, and that's at uh, Mount Smart Stadium in Auckland. So that'll be... That'd be absolutely incredible. Um, a little bit, just some very, very quick news of the last seven days. Uh, World Rugby uh, confirmed the Nations Championship um, concept uh, and have expanded the, the Reg 9 windows as well, uh, starting, starting from next year. Rugby World Cup 2027 will go to 24 teams, um, six pools of four, rather than the, what we have, four pools of, of five this five. year. So the, yeah. a, a round of 16 comes in, we're comprising the top two teams from each pool and the four best third third place teams. So we'll see how we get. There's been a lot said about the nation's championship concept and we've talked about this before and I think there's hairs on it, definitely. But if there's a silver lining, perhaps that we're edging closer towards a, a global calendar of sorts. So, you know, sort of take that a little bit here. So many retirements um, out after this tournament. Um, Courtney Laws is, is finishing up. Lee Halfpenny is finishing up. Aaron Smith, Bowden Barrett, Richie Mwanga, Brody Vitalik are all going to Japan. Sam Whitelock's going to France. Dwayne Vermeulen is is retiring and could go straight into coaching with the South African team, by all reports. Wayne Barnes is retiring. So many players that have given so much to this, and, and referees, that have given so much to this game at the top level for so long have just gone out on high. And not all of them could win it, obviously, but they've all gone out at the top of their game to the very end. And I think that's just the best thing. Yeah, Sam Whitelock, uh, I saw him in Wellington before a match in 2018. And it was before test match and he was playing with his kids. Uh, they were, he was just pushing them on a swing. And then I saw him at the end of this match, uh, the final, and he had his kids introducing another one, I think uh, a newborn <laughs> or another yeah. kid since, to Damon Delende, and they're just chatting away. Um, he just seems like a guy who always kept his priorities in order. I think he uh, was a fantastic servant of the game. And to your point, even though he lost the final, Sam Whitelock walks away just a champion. So, oh, he's, yeah, the, he's, he's he, all-time All Black. Yeah, he never, never had any kind of scandal. He, he, yeah, he yeah, never had any yeah. disrespect. He's respected across all lines. Just, and I think that's a good why, example yeah. of, of how, how to go out. And so... You know, I, I think New Zealand's got a lot of holes to fill and maybe the most important holes they've got to fill is at the lock. Uh, yeah. So that'll be interesting too. Yeah, yeah. And a great example of a really well-experienced, great role model for young players, dare I say it. Ooh, the role uh, model. One, one <laughs> last one, mate. Um, South African rugby reportedly happy to let Rassi Erasmus fill the role of Springbok head coach in the interim with Jackson Nineveh going to, to Ireland. I mean... I don't know how the Springboks continue with someone like Rassi Erasmus in charge. Like, disruption? <laughs> yeah, how would they possibly such continue? A big, such a big change. He lost his defence coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Welcome to the new coach. Oh, no, you know him. He's been here for the last eight Speaking years. of, Leinster probably thinking they're pinching themselves. You know, they hired Jacques Niedover, and now literally they're thinking, yeah. we just got the best defensive coach in the world yeah. for a club team. Yeah. Unbelievable. And we, and we won't need a physio. <laughs> <laughs> but, mate, I think, um, I think that's it. I think we've wrapped up the tournament. Um, and with that, we're actually going to draw the curtain. Not Well, on the rugby podcast year this will be the last of more than 70 episodes for the raw rugby podcast for 2023 we're going to take a fairly well-earned break for a couple of months um but we've got some ideas haven't we so yeah. keep an eye on our socials because we we've got a bit of a plan to pull out some of our favorite parts from some of our favorite guests so maybe stay tuned and look let us know your favorite episodes because we want to just sort of pull out a little bit, and we'll fill yeah. them out over the course of the summer. I think that actually could be quite fun. I'm looking forward to that. Maybe even topics like uh, like all the guests who's everything the guests said about whatever. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, that's that's easy for you to say when you're not editing it. <laughs> <laughs> most think, lu- most ludicrous statements ever said by Paul Cully. <laughs> let's let's maybe let's maybe think about you know the funniest moments out of the Ned Hannigan chat, for example, and that will be <laughs> uh, that will be. I just a have job been narrowing that one down. On a loop in my head. Sometimes. Oh, that'll be, so be great. Yeah. So look, we are, we are going to take some time. Uh, to think about what the pod looks like next year as well. The the Rugby World Cup has potentially opened up some doors that we want to explore, hasn't it? So, um, but we know this, we'll be back in 2024 um, and we will Stronger, share news better, as soon as faster, we have it, won't quicker. we? That's, yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's the crux of it. So, so stay tuned, keep an eye on us uh, on the socials and all that. But we, we absolutely thank you all for your support this year um, and going back well beyond the Rugby World Cup, we've seen such incredible growth in our audience all year and we've said this a few times but it has just been absolutely incredible and like numbers that we were doing in june and july uh, you know over the course of a month we're now doing that in a couple of days and it just Mm. blows our mind that we're doing it so we just particularly outside australia as well like the overseas audience has just been incredible so we thank you all for tuning in every week from wherever you tune it in it's just been it's just been great hasn't it so many people uh, on the ground in France, uh, uh, I don't know how many, many at least 20, uh, yeah. stopped me and said, hey, I love the pod and had a yeah. chat. All of them were like super friendly. None of them were duuses uh, and uh, they had helpful ideas that we should uh, yeah. use. <laughs> and everyone's an expert. And um, I had so much fun doing that. And I realized, I realized from that as people love um, to have community around the sport. So, yeah, we'll, we're going to continue. And we're just going to get a little bit better. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yep. yep, we will. We'll get a little bit better. But that's us done for episode 86 um, and for 2023 on the Raw Rugby Podcast with me, Brett McKay, and Harry Jones, powered by ASICS as we have been for the last six months. Don't forget Harry and I are both on the socials. Um, that extends to Instagram and threads. Do leave us ratings, reviews, um, if your pod platform allows it, and do like, follow, subscribe, and and, and make sure that you do see the summer highlights as they start rolling out in the coming weeks. But it's been great, absolutely fantastic to bring you the Raw Rugby Podcast every week. And it's thanks to Tony Harper and everyone at the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate, the home of all your favourite international rugby analysis, opinions and conversations. A big shout-out to ASICS, the official performance apparel and footwear partner of the Wallabies. They've been with us throughout the international season and we thank them 
for it. Um, but for one last time, thanks for listening in 2023. We'll be back in your ears somewhere, sometime in 2024. Come play with us.